What is up, everybody? Welcome back. It is uh, it is that time again. It is Doc Talk time. Got a new panel. Got new stories to tell. Let's jump into this thing. Welcome back, everybody. It is Doc Talk Night. Like I said, we've got a new panel. So to start off the new panel, everybody knows me. I'm here every time. Uh, let's start at the top. Let's go with Joey. Let me introduce yourself. Tell a little bit about yourself. What kind of kayak you're fishing in. And uh, yeah. Well, Joey Monteleone just moved to the shores of Woods Reservoir. So right, that's my backyard. It's a new playground for me. So we'll be learning that lake. And I'm, uh, you know, when people talk about OG, I'm the epitome of OG. I'll, I'll be 72 in about six weeks and fish out of a Jackson big rig. And, and uh, I, it's where I feel the most alive was when I'm out there fishing and been, been in a kayak, committed to the kayak for about eight years. And I do radio and TV and I've probably, I, I've fished out of every possible thing. And one of the chapters in my first book is entitled if it floats it's a boat <laughs> so I've, I've done everything the canoe the kayak the big boats the whole nine yards and uh, i'm glad to be in, in the same company with hank i know we've got some similar stories and and probably some that are a little different hmm. all right hank uh introduce yourself tell us a little bit about you where you hail from yeah i'm originally from up north born and raised in new jersey grew up fishing the Hudson River, Delaware River, all through Pennsylvania, upstate New York. But I have been living in North Carolina for nearly 20 years now. I am a professor of English, specialized in American literature at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Hey, Tar Hill and man. I have been on the Jackson team for four years now. Um, it was always kind of a life goal of mine once I sat in a Jackson Cusa um, in 2011, I, a friend of mine had a Drew Gregory limited custom signature edition. Mm -hmm. um, he loaned it to me and my life changed forever at that moment. As soon as my, my old hide hit that seat, I was a new man. And uh, I fish out of a Bite FD. I live in the research triangle area of North Carolina that is mm -hmm. uh, Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill. And uh, I have three amazing lakes. Joey mentioned his reservoir. I have lakes that are world renowned for bass fishing. Sheeran Harris, Jordan, and Falls Lake um, are all within a half an hour drive of my house. So uh, I get to fish some pretty amazing water here. Very nice. Very nice. Um, most of you guys watching, if you've been to the Jackson Kayak website, these two guys' names probably look very familiar. Two of our biggest blog writers, authors in the house tonight. Um, so that's kind of what we're going to be talking about tonight. A little bit of the outdoor industry behind the scenes, um, technical writing and, and the different things that go into uh, all that. And Joey, Joey's ready host. 
So he's, you know, double duty on that front. Oh, I've, I've been blessed to be able to do media work for over 35 years. And I've, I've done boat shows for over 35 years all across the country, done TV for over 30 years and done radio for 38 years. And uh, the one thing that I would tell people, especially the people that are aspiring to be blog writers or to be communicators, one of the rules for me is, uh, especially in the case of TV, if you say it, they got to see it. Not everybody knows what a Texas rig plastic worm is. And when you're doing any kind of presentation, it should answer questions. It shouldn't create questions. So, you know, when you're thinking about it, when you go back, and especially if you have the benefit of videotaping your, your blogs or anything else you're doing, your seminars, go back and say, did I make that clear? Did I, does somebody understand that? It's really important to do that because I know for the three of us and everybody else on the team, it's really not about us. For me, this is communicating the word to, to probably uh, reduce somebody's learning curve and have somebody go out there and say, hey, I tried that and it worked, or I climbed in a kayak and man, I'm never gonna leave. So that's the payoff to me. The checks are all cashed. I mean, I enjoy it, but you know, just communicating with people and having them try it and learn it and enjoy it. That's, you know, that's where we're leaving a legacy when we do that. Now, for both you guys, how did, uh, and either of you can go first, how did your writing careers begin? I know, you know, when you look back and you listen to a lot of the podcast or radio shows with some of the outdoorsmen that come before, you know, they always talk about that wanting to get in a magazine, wanting to be mm-hmm. out there. That was like, that was like the, the goal uh, for a lot of folks back then. I mean, how did you guys find that passion and how did you get started? I'll jump in um, and pick up where Joey left off about leaving a legacy. Um, For me, I had a legacy left to me. Um, In my career, in my adult life, I've worn many hats, drove trucks, played in a band. Uh, Then I went into education, academia, teaching, etc. And there's writing involved there, but it really doesn't have much to do with the kind of writing that we have to do to get across principles, concepts, and just descriptions of what we do on the water with our gear as fishermen, as kayakers, etc. So I didn't know that I had that DNA, but I sat down about six or seven years ago. I just started keeping a journal of my fishing trips, what worked in the tournament, etc., And then I started just keeping a personal blog. And before I knew it, I had people asking me for content. And the reason I took to it kind of naturally was because my dad was a journalist mm-hmm. and I had what he to be a journalist. You have to have discipline. You have to sit and work at your craft every day. And then you have to wipe your brain clean and get on the next day's work. So it's a constant turnover and creating content for social media, for digital media, for blogs is kind of the same mindset. Like you're constantly moving like yep. In a way, it's like fishing, right? Like that cast didn't do it. The next one will. You just got to keep casting and cranking them in. Mm -hmm. So it's a similar mindset in terms of, you know, you're improving, but you're practicing at the same time and figuring it out. And that's what it was for me. Um, I'm grateful to my old man. He was a hardworking Italian guy and he gave me a good work ethic. I just didn't realize it would translate to outdoors writing. So it's a question that I get a lot from younger kayak fishermen. Uh, how how did you get into this? And I said, you just do it. You that, figure boy, it out as you, yeah. as you go it's along. A, 
you know, it's a life skill. Like you said, our parents, I, I always laugh and I get to do a lot of public speaking. And I said, there's two types of people that you end up working really hard. They're farmers and Italians. And if you're a child of either one of those, you're going to work hard. And I said, I was just glad that my dad wasn't an Italian farmer because I'd have had to work twice as hard. But, you know, <laughs> your, your point, too, about, you know, when you're doing something, you're trying to paint a picture so somebody feels like they're right there. And in my, in my first book, I'll Be Tennessee and You, there's a picture of a young boy in a wheelchair. And he came mm -hmm. to my seminar and the grandparents said, he, he has every bit of the stuff that you've written and he's got a three hole punch in a binder. So I went wow. down and talked to him and he said, you know, when I read your stuff, it makes me feel like I'm right there with you. And I said, man, what higher praise could you have than that? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, to me, when you do any kind of a media presentation, I, it should go back and your, your quiz and your answer should be, does, it, does somebody say, that looks like fun. I think I could do that. I'd like to try it. If you've done that, if we've done that, we've done our job. And and, right. and it's the, again, it's the payoff is having people feel like they want to get involved. And, you know, where people can't climb into a $50,000 bass boat, anybody, almost mm -hmm. anybody can get into a kayak. And, you know, you yeah. can go into waters that nobody else can. And I know I'm preaching to the choir, but the pluses are so easy. I mean, this is easy to promote because it's healthy. It's, it, it, you know, it's fun. It's fresh air. You know, when the pandemic started, I start I started keeping fish. Mr. Catch and Release said, I'm eating that crappie. <laughs> yeah. That was taking a boat ride. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of people did in during the pandemic time. I mean, it, it did change. Not only did it put more people on the water than we've ever seen, but it changed the perception of a few people. It it sure did. It sure did. And I really like that point that Joey made now about kayak fishing. It's open to everybody. It's very democratic. Like if you can just afford some of the basic items, you're going to go fishing in the kayak. And that's how I started. You know, like I had lunch with the guy who sold me my first kayak the other day. I paid $300 for it from him. He gave me a deal, you know, and I'm still thanking him for that bargain that wow. he gave me. And it's the same thing with writing. Like you've got the words in here. You've just got to figure out how to get them out. It's the same thing. You've just got to practice and learn how you do it. And you develop a style and eventually the game comes to you. But you've got to just take some of those risks and chances. Well, I understand it's not for everybody. But in kayak fishing, we do have um, – there's opportunity here. There are a limited number of writers who put out really good content over a long period of time. Um, there are a lot of great writers in the sport. They just don't write about it as much as I would like to see them do that work. So I'm always after them about um, – contributing more content to various uh, sites and publications. Well, but and I think that there's a lot of potential out there. Sorry, Joey, go ahead. That's all right. Everybody, you know, like with Chad, you know, how did you get started doing this? You know, to me, everybody's got a story. The, the fun part about this is mm -hmm. whether you write it down or whether you, you know, if you're sitting on the porch of Cracker Barrel in a rocking chair and telling your story <laughs> and people gather around, everybody's got a story that's worth telling. So, so what about you? How did you get started doing this? So my my circle is very different. Um, so I come from the big boat side. Uh, when I started fishing, that was obviously the goal. That's where I wanted to be, and that's what I wanted to do. Um, I was actually working with uh, Bass Pro Shop at the time. Uh, my my cool nitro jersey from back then is still hanging over here. Um, but you know the opportunity presented itself where they said, um, "Would you like to try the kayaks?" Because I was I was young. I was in my early days and I thought, man, you know, 
I had started my Facebook page, Bass Crazy 365. Um, my website was up where we was posting different things all the time. And I'd met Stuart Venable, um, as you know him, Joey. And it was like, yeah, let's let's give this thing a go. Uh, so I jumped in an Ascend kayak uh, from Bass Pro and never looked back. Um, you know, I do still fish big boat tournaments, um, but the organization that I was working with at the time was USA Bassin, which is now the USA Bassin Jackson kayak trail that we've got going on. Um, I did some marketing and different things for them, uh, finding different sponsors and running different tournament trails. And it all just, it all kind of came this way. And I found a home at Jackson kayak. A lot of good friends were here. Uh, Noah Heck and several others, Bridget and, I've been here ever since and I love what I do. I love the digital media side of it. It's always been a lot of fun for me. Um, I like to take photos and do the marketing stuff and play with social media. And it's just, it's been a cool opportunity. Can't say that uh, I'd rather be anywhere else. This is, uh, this feels like home with a lot of good people. Good for you, man. We lost you again, yep. Joey. Yep. Can't hear you. So as a fellow Italian, I understand the risk that he's undertaking. Like he's talking with his hands and he accidentally. <laughs> well, I can tell he's talking though. That's the good part. I still can't hear him though. Um, he heard that. He's laughing. <laughs> here you go. There, I got you now. 60, okay. Six, what I was going to say is big boat, little boat. I always say that's why there's chocolate and vanilla ice cream. Yep. And one of my favorite stories is I'm on the national pro staff with Strike King and we meet up on Kentucky Lake. And they said, mm -hmm. please bring your kayak. So I go up there with my one-of-a-kind red, white, and blue kayak. Yep. And all of these big-name bass fishermen, if you know Strike King, you know there's a lot of big-name bass fishermen. And one guy looks over me and says, you want to race that thing? I said, yeah, I'll race you. I said, right there behind the marina. There was an opening of about four feet. I took his cameraman, went behind the marina, and caught four fish in the first 10 minutes. So, the, <laughs> you know, the story is, again, don't don't exclude. I, I don't want anybody to be excluded. I don't care. No gender, size, age, whatever that anybody can be in a kayak. Yeah. Thank and, you, Tanner. I appreciate that. He says yeah. our red, white, and blue kayak is amazing. Yeah. And that's that's fact. I mean, anybody can get in a kayak and, you know, it's it's not limited by no means. Um, it's it provides an opportunity for people to get out there and catch fish. And it also provides a different way to catch a fish. And I think that was one of the big appeals for me was being able to catch a bass in a different way than I had before. Um, but once you, I think you find it's just like Creek waiting, but it's, it's a little, it's out there further into the water, you know, the lakes, the rivers and the different things like that. So you're able to be up close and personable with mother nature. I mean, as close as you want to be. And it's, it's peaceful. It's relaxing. I mean, it, it's really, it really offers an unbelievable experience to well, anybody that's thinking about it. And I'm sure Hank has got some of the same stories that we've got about the wildlife, but you know, being in a kayak, when you're in it, I call it that when you're in ninja stealth mode. So when you're in that kayak and you come across a bald Eagle or you see a deer, you know, a deer with a fawn right there on the shoreline, all the stuff that you see in that, I call it getting into the glide when you're paddling or pedaling or whatever you're doing and you get into that glide, 
man, I'm, I, I mean, it's magical. It really is. And if you're not touched by that, you're probably in the wrong boat. Not mm-hmm. a Jackson. I mean, if you're, what I'm saying is there's, pro- there's a boat for everybody, I can assure you. And people yep. will talk about the big rig being heavy and whatever. I'm going to be 72 in about six weeks. I, you don't have to lift the whole boat. Just slide it in the back of your truck or on your trailer. And where there's a will, usually I say where there's a will, there's a relative. Hank will get a kick out of that because of the Italian connection. But where there's a will, there truly is a way. You'll get on the water and you'll get to places that are are just magic. There's no better way to put it. 100%. 100%. Now, you know, I think one of the interesting things, you hear a lot of people today as, as you guys both writers, you hear a lot of people say that right that things like blogs are dead. Mm. But they're really not. I mean, when you go to the statistics of a website of any kind, whether it's Strike King Loose, Jackson Kayak, uh, North Carolina's website, people read like you wouldn't believe. And, you know, I don't think that's changing. Do you guys? Well, the learning curve to me, the learning curve to me of somebody being able to read really valuable, you know, Hank's on the, is, you know, is East Coast. Somebody else might be left coast. You know that everybody's got a different perspective, but there's going to be some commonalities and there's going to be a bunch of stuff that you can learn. You can learn what Hank learned, took 20 years to learn in 20 minutes by reading his blog post. How do you, you how do you beat that? Yeah. yeah, the the you know, there are people out there, scientists who track the way that we consume information. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, digital media skews a little younger, but, you know, there's a, this middle area where a lot of folks get into it. Then there are people who prefer the more tactile, you know, print media kind of experience where you're holding it in your hands. And the fact of the matter is that the way we handle the media has a different effect on our brain. Like if you're holding something in your hands, it's really, you remember it more. And they've proved that with cognitive studies and neuroscience. Like the way we absorb information is different depending on how, on what we're reading on a screen or on a page or a printed page. But I have to say, I'm always a little skeptical of like there's an either or. I think everybody just kind of does whatever's in front of them, reads what's in front of them. These days, it's, you know, there's a lot of just a complex environment that we live in. It's Mm -hmm. TV, it's computers, it's print, it's our phones. It's It's a lot of distraction. It's a lot of distraction. But like Joey was saying, it's also amazing. Like. We have so much information available to us. So, of course, people are reading more because there's just more stuff out there. And it's a lot of it's free. It's accessible. And right. It's so I can go on the I can go on the Jackson website now and read a bunch of blogs about, you know, I wrote a blog post last year about scupper, um, you know, how to use scupper plugs. And people yep. were like, that was a great post. I never looked at it that way. And I got great feedback from a post about scupper plugs. I never in my life would have thought I would have had that sort of feedback from a post about scupper plugs. And people are reading that stuff. It's amazing. I am so grateful to live in this moment in history where all these different generations are suddenly realizing there's so much content out there to read and talk about and spread the word about. And that's what has driven the growth of kayak fishing more than anything is the way that we're constantly sharing stuff. That's, it happens at, at the launches, at the ramps, when we're there, like, hey, what are you fishing with? We share ideas, tackle, stuff like that. I left my catch board at home. Oh, I have a spare, here's for you. 
oh, and then you send your buddy a link. You're, you know, uh, you're, my kids fish with me, my son and daughter, they'll kayak with me. I'll send them something about it, maybe some safety tips, some rigging tips. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. You know, I carry, I carry uh, soft plastic baits in my truck and my car. And when somebody comes up and said, hey, I know you're part of the Jackson team or whatever. And I said, do you fish? And they say, yeah. I go back in there and pull out a pack of plastic. And, you know, mm -hmm. somebody will think that's a nothing thing. But I got to tell mm -hmm. you, to a kid and to somebody that's a novice fisherman, that's a big deal. And, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And to your earlier point, and I think Chad could, could sound off on this, our industry is changing so much all the time. You know, it's a, it's a Right. And so doing what we do uh, and sharing the passion that we've got really kind of helps people because, you know, you can go back and talk about fishing an Arbogast jitterbug in a farm pond at night. I've been doing that for 70 years. And then you can go back and talk to somebody about drop shotting or Ned rigging and somebody said, never mm -hmm. heard of it, never seen it. That's what we're doing. We're educating people and again, sharing that passion and showing people how to catch fish or how to have a good time in a kayak and do it safely yeah. and, and and make it fun at the same time well yeah. and, and every good... every kayaker and every kayak fisherman who makes a post after a tournament or a day out is educating somebody else about kayak fishing and that's a powerful thing and it's, it's the storytelling value um that comes with everything in in writing too you know that was always <clears throat> i wasn't i wouldn't say that i'm necessarily when it comes to blogging i don't feel like i was ever a good teacher as much as i wanted to tell the story, tell the experience of mm -hmm. going kayaking. Mm -hmm. and, well, I think and I wasn't, I would have never dreamed of writing a book. And I had so many people tell me, you know, people would ask me questions after I wrote my second book called 60 seasons. And uh, people would ask me a question. I said, did you buy the book? And they said, no, I said, buy the book. The answer is in the, the answer's in the book. <laughs> so, you know, we do get to, we do get to pass that on and, you know, again, answering those questions and then having somebody go out and apply that. And I don't care. I taught karate for almost 20 years. Seeing somebody apply that, seeing somebody uh, do uh, the fishing part of things really makes it fun to see somebody use the application. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think with fishing comes a curiosity and with kayak fishing comes more curiosity, yep. if you will. And you guys see it, Joey, I know you see it down there where you put in at Rock Island there's always people at a boat ramp and when you're when you're loading and unloading even today and we've talked about this on a few different doc talks people are intrigued by these kayaks they and are. doesn't matter how rigged out they are joey's a minimalist i'm probably dragged too much stuff but when you set either one of those kayaks on the bank it draws questions it's like i didn't know that was possible I mean, mm -hmm. still, and, and I mean, this is, this has been going on for a long while now, you know, considering in 2012, we had a massive industry boom where kayaking just explodes. Um, you see more and more and more people jumping into these things. And now kayaks are everywhere to us. We see them all over the place, but there's still questions. There's still people that strive to have things answered. Well, and you know, I, and I like that you brought up, I'm a minimalist and I, I you know, I don't back off of that. I, and the, to me, the important part is you should make all of this stuff as your own, whether Hank's writing or I'm writing or whatever. And when people say, so, you know, what do you do to your kayak before you fish? And I said, I cut the plastic off and then I go fish. I said, that's, that's what yeah. I do. So I said, I'm not dependent on any batteries and I don't, I don't care who, who else it, uh, it, 
is doing it. Doing it your way is the fun way. Whatever is the best for you is the best way for you to do it. You don't have to do it how I do it. Don't have to do it how Chad does it or how Hank does it. You've mm -hmm. developed, like writing, you develop your own style. And if it works for you, then that's the most important part. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Um, that's a great point, Joey. Thank you for making it. It's taking what you have around you and doing your thing and developing a style. It's the same in writing. It's mm -hmm. the same in fishing. It's the same in life. You just got to make the most of what's near you and what's at hand and the people around you who are going to encourage you and give you feedback. Um, that's really important. Yeah. I think, you know, so to add to what Joey said, you know, take off the plastic and go. I think no matter if you're a seasoned kayaker or a new kayaker or whatever, anytime you get a brand new boat, the first thing you ought to do is take it out with, rip the plastic off of it and put it on the water, get to know, get to know it, you know, right. um, the NAR and me were a perfect example. I, I did it. I took it out and the first goal was one fishing rod, hmm. a couple baits and let's go get to know this thing. That Cusa X has got me intrigued. I, oh, I know. It's a beautiful I, boat. Oh, I, and I know my big rigs are outside crying when I say Kusa X, but I, I almost feel like I've got to do that. And, you know, you realize how nimble the boat is and it's just like driving a different car. Yes. You know, they're, they're all they're all different. They all have upsides. They all have downsides. And for me, the first thing I tell everybody when I say I want to buy a kayak, which one should I get? And I said, what's your goal? I don't care what you're doing. in Absolutely. life. What's your goal? And I said, the first thing I would tell you is safety. Get yourself a life jacket. Throw yourself in a pool and see what it's like to go into the water. Don't just say, well, I don't need it or I'm sitting on it or, I, you know, I don't wear it when it's summer. Wear it 100 percent of the time and see what it's like. And then when you paddle that boat, you know, if you I like to stand up in the boat, I, I really like to stand up in the boat. I'm standing yeah. up 95 percent of the time. Well, mm -hmm. get a boat that's stable and you feel good in. And when people say, well, I'm not sure which boat I should get from a safety standpoint, I said, Get the boat that you would put your grandchildren in. That stops the conversation right there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I the OG big rig, I'd put my grandma in it. I'd put my grandma in Aliska, to be honest with you. There you go. There you go. Yeah. I mean, it, it's that's probably one of my if I was gonna take anybody out just on a whim, you know, I wouldn't hesitate at all to put them in Aliska. Um the Kusa I think feels a little bit different, but it's it's awesome. It's awesome. You need to try it, Joey. You'll like it. Oh, I'm, I'm sure I will. <clears throat> I don't know where I'm going to store all these kayaks, but I, I'm willing to take a shot at it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good problem to have. Well, Joey, uh, uh, I got a suggestion. And of course, you know, everyone does their own thing. I've made a post about this a few um, weeks ago. Um, and I've done this periodically over the years. Um, sometimes when I have an older boat and I'm ready to move on and I'm ready to sell it, I'll, I'll ask around and find if there's someone who needs a boat and I'll give them a break on it because I feel mm -hmm. that it's more important to pass along some of these boats, right. To that I, next generation. Absolutely. I, yeah. I, I sold, I sold my first big rig to somebody who had, had who was handicapped physically for $200 <laughs> yep. yeah. and the guy was ecstatic, still got the boat, you know, so, yeah. oh, uh, wow. and, and, and to me, that's, that speaks volumes, A, about Jackson's quality, and B, about what we're doing. You know, if we yep. get somebody out there and it changes one or two lives, what, what you know, again, what more can you ask for? Yeah. And you talked about leaving a legacy earlier. That's part of it is passing it along so that the next person, because a lot of people, you know, they, um, 
it's not that they don't realize it. It's hard for any of us to step back and really appreciate what has happened in the last 10 to 15 years in this sport. We've created mm-hmm. a global phenomenon. It's amazing, right? Oh, so yeah. we, we built something, and now we have to pass that along to the next generations and make sure they carry it on because what we've got is special. It really is. And that's why there's so much interest in it and talk and buzz around it over the years. The innovation at Kayak, uh, Jackson Kayak and in other kayak designs all across the industry, all the um, product design innovations that you see over the years. Wow. Like I remember 10 years ago, we were talking about it last night on one of the local on the TK Trail podcast. Um, you know, I was we were talking about how we used to have to make our own crates to put in the back. Of the <laughs> yeah. We talked about that the other night with Jim Sammons as well. Yeah. Like, wow, those days, I mean, I would still love to make my own crate, but, you know, I can just buy a great one from um, a good company and, you know, it's yeah. it's ready to go. And, and so you know, it's an amazing thing to pass that along. Um, it is. Yeah. I, I, think, I think we all, you know, I think we would agree, too. We've got a, a great team of people that have the hearts of teachers and that we want to, part of passing this on, and my goal every year is to introduce people to uh, this sport to fishing, to the outdoors, uh, to keep families closer together and put down your phones, put them in the dry box, shut them off, whatever you got to do and get out there and enjoy your family. And I also, um, I'm a big fan of kids having newer equipment. Don't give them passed down stuff because they're just going to get frustrated. If you want to get them interested, have them catch. If you've never, if you've never seen somebody catch their first fish, I live for that. I've done that so many times. It's just, it is a joy that, you know, you're giving them something and you're creating that spark that somebody's going to carry with them the rest of their lives. Now, I feel like when you take people out for the first time, and you know, <clears throat> as kayak anglers, when we take somebody out, it it brings a great deal of joy to almost be a fishing guide for a day and put somebody on their first kayak fish or just watch somebody else catch a fish. I mean, I don't know how you guys do it, but I feel like I, I try to work at it. You know, if, I'm like cast here, cast there. You know, I sound like the guy on the back of the red fish boat with the push pole going here, here, here. And you know, those fly fishing guys. Um, I, I feel like that when I take people out, but it, there comes a lot of satisfaction with it. Well, I guided professionally for a long time and I guided, I guided canoe trips in the wilderness area in Canada for 27 summers. And it, it is a lot of fun when you tell somebody, See that tree at a 45 degree angle, throw your spinnerbait past that and bump that tree. And then mm-hmm. like magic, a, a four pound smallmouth comes up and eats it. And you, I, I look at people's faces all the time. You've changed their life. You've added something to it. You've given them a memory. And we're talking about that. You know, they've got a story to tell. They've got a memory. Uh, again, you know, we are so fortunate to be in an industry that it looks like it's recreational. But from our standpoint, it's also business. We're doing yes. business at the same time. So when you can have a blend of personal and professional, now you've arrived. That's that's the biggest to me. That's the biggest prize in life. Yeah, that's that's a very fair statement. Um, now looking at everything, and I'll, I I kind of want to hit Joey with this one. You've kind of been with the kayak industry for you've seen the rise the, all the way through, pretty much. I have. What has been, as you've watched this rise of the kayak issue, what's been the thing that's impressed you most as it's come along? Well, the evolution to me, if you want to do, I'm a, I'm a big history fan. 
go back and look what the Inuit uh, Indians put together for a kayak. They measured your your knees together and a fist on either side to figure out how wide to make it. And mm -hmm. we've done something completely different, but we're listening to the customer, which is, I think, very important, the inline user. And each year, the kayaks you see, I think they're a little bit more fishable. I think they're a little more safe. I think they're a little more nimble. And it might come at the price of being a little heavier or a little lighter, whichever that might be. But I mm -hmm. think listening to the inline user and understanding that those are the people, A, that know because they've been doing it, and B, they want to make improvements all the time. You talk to outdoor people. And they will, you can give them any concept, any product, they will find a way to improve it. It may not be pretty at first, but when you incorporate right. that, to me, that's the biggest thing. I worked for Browning as their public relations director, and they had a fishing division. And the first thing I did was tell everybody, send me all your broken reels. And they said, are you kidding? I said, no. And I said, why? I said, we're going to engineer out what's breaking on those reels to make a really good lose reel. And it was a, it was a, it was a fun thing. And it was very effective. And I know Jackson's doing a lot of the same things that whether it's the tie downs, the scupper holes, whatever that is, that there's more science to it than people realize in the background. So the steady improvement building on what we've already got is, I think, the biggest thing. Yeah. Yeah. If I can jump in there about the science, yeah. Joey, and there's also the imaginative, creative side of it. I'm mm -hmm. when, I, when I got the new Jackson Mark IV drive and I compared it to the older model that I had on my Byte FD, I saw that they were just, I could see the thinking involved in changing the design principles of it, right? And right. it was really amazing. And then I looked at it and I thought, yeah, okay, simplify it. You get the result, give it a different look, gives it a different profile. Um, it's, it's an amazing thing when you get that balance of just innovation and I guess practicality. Um, mm -hmm that results from engineering and that I think Joey nailed it right on the head. Um, that's, that's a, a, a powerful thing that's happening throughout the industry. You know, one thing that I would tell people too, is if you're fishing and it's not fun, you're doing it wrong. Like every year I try to do something a little bit better. And last year I worked really hard on throwing that frog in the lily pads and mm -hmm. was rewarded with a nine and a half pound fish. And for me, it's like, I know I can catch fish on a jig. I know I can catch them on a crankbait. Challenge yourself to do something a little bit different. It really does make it fun, and you, you you feel a certain level of success at saying, you know, I went out there and tried to do something a little different. And like Chad said, sometimes it's the one rod. You know, go out there with the one rod and two baits and make yourself do that, and it makes yeah. you better. It makes you better, and probably appreciate the other things, and adds a little something to your to your fun if you experiment and it, and it works out. Very much so. I think there's a lot to be said. I mean, even trying new things as they've came along you know it, it really takes that day of just throwing it in your boat and buckling down and going for it yep um that's that's the best way to learn any new technique as far as fishing goes i think um or coming to terms with a technique you may not be good at you know you hear a lot of people today which is which is wild i know i know you hear it too joey um jig fish like they say i, I just can't fish a jig and it's like, really? Just just go throw the jig for a day. I mean, right. it's 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 a simple bait. You drag well, it, you hop it. Yeah. And once you catch your first five pound fish on it, you'll throw a jig. And the biggest thing, <laughs> yes, the biggest thing with the field baits is that everybody does it different. Nobody's going to do exactly. Nobody's going to do it exactly the same way. And it's random action. And they never catch on to that. Bass never catch on to that. I did a tagging study years ago. 
and caught the same fish five times. And every time it was on a jig or a plastic worm. And I threw spinner baits and crank baits and buzz baits all over the same fish. So that taught me the lesson that they never get wise to that. And the the, the retrieve speed and the random action are the two biggest things that, for, as far as I'm concerned. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I actually, um, and I think Nick just made a comment that's, that is reminding me of, yeah, that's what I had to do with jigs. Like he forced himself to learn them. I think he was replying to that point. Um, I did that. I grew up, I mean, my confidence tech, technique, especially in a kayak, I love topwater fishing from a kayak um, because with the low profile, when the fish come up near the surface to hit a topwater bait, well, guess what? They can see more of what's going on around them. But if yep. you're in a kayak, you've got a lower profile. So yep. you're, you're in pretty good shape when you're topwater fishing. I never caught as many topwater fish from any boat as I did from a kayak. And I've become a pretty good topwater fisherman, but I, I used to stink as a jig fisherman. And it drove me crazy because I knew in the colder months, I could not catch a fish on a pop bar or a buzz bait. So I forced myself for three consecutive winters to fish nothing but a jig. And I went out with only different jigs and uh, rigged up on my rods. And I fished that cold water until I learned how to do it. And it took, it was a slog and I didn't like it, but I built confidence and I built an understanding of the lure and the technique and the patterns and how you do things in different uh, situations. And, you know, it worked out in the end, actually right over my shoulder, right here, that CK banner right there. I won that tournament with a jig. Now, and that was the crown jewel of all those winters of sitting out there in the cold water, hopping a jig, figuring out, okay. What kind of jig should I use? What, what are the different sizes and profiles that I need to have? What kind of trailer should I have on it? And uh, it, it paid off. Fishing is a learning curve. And there's a steep one sometimes, and there's a quick one at other times. And I love all of it. Now, talking about taking notes, Hank, when you look back at everything, how often, do, talking about taking notes, how often do you go back and reference those notes. I mean, do you spend time during these winter months where you just kind of mm -hmm. go back through and pour over those notes and get into things and really digest and look at what happened? Uh, that's interesting. Um, who did a post about this? Um, Matt Kiefer from Indiana mm -hmm. um, did a post about this on the KBF website about how he sits down and goes over his catch data and ratios and sizes every winter. He did an interesting, it was a two-part post. I edited it for him. Um, and it was exactly what you're talking about. Taking advantage of these colder, slower months, a lot of tournaments, things are quiet, lake might be frozen. You sit down and go over what you did. I used to do that a lot. I don't quite do it as much any longer as I get older. I just need more time for physical recovery from a long season of kayak fishing. So for me, research is eat more, sleep more, <laughs> and, um, and fix things for next season, right? Um, well, you know, you and you develop a confidence. You already know what you're going to fish with when you go out there. You already know yeah. what, what you're going to take, what you're going to fish with. And in, 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 my, in my first book, I talk about the one-year rule. And if you want to see people laugh, you do this during a seminar. Hey, Steve Young, <laughs> what you do this during a seminar, you tell people the one-year rule. I said, you can buy all the baits you want, have the biggest tackle box as you want. If you don't tie it on, it doesn't get wet, you don't catch a fish, you take it out. 
in about three years, you're going to have a little tiny tackle box that catches fish everywhere you go. And it, it, it really works. Most people don't want to do that because their confidence, they think, comes from having a bunch of baits. And I used to carry a paper bag when I was a guide and tell people, they said, what is that, your lunch? I said, no, I call it a Tennessee tackle box. I got enough stuff <laughs> in that paper bag that I said I can catch fish everywhere that I go. And, and it really does work. Hmm, interesting. I've been taking notes here. I got a note. It says, Joey knows karate. Be careful. <laughs> so this is a good question for Joey. Um, I know being in Indiana, I have cold months. It, everything was actually just froze and un, it froze mm. for a couple of days and thought already. Um, you know, but our weather's hit or miss here. Um, and Hank takes some time off during the winter. Joey, I know you, you pretty much where you're at, you're able to go all year round. How do you keep up the physical side? Um, especially, I mean, 72 years young, how do you keep, how do you keep going? Well, for, the karate helps keep you young for one thing, because it's paddling and karate are both core. You know, the yep. first time mm -hmm. that I was out, somebody said, man, you're a good paddler. And I said, I've not done this much, but I've got good core strength. And the other thing is, if I'm doing radio every day, all year long, all weekdays, I can't tell somebody how to fish in the winter if I don't go in the wintertime. Yep. So, you know, the other thing is I do try to stay in good shape. Uh, and, and round is a shape, so I'm okay. Uh, <laughs> and and so, uh, you know, going out there and, you know, keeping limber, keeping muscles. I do. I stretch in the morning, you know, almost every morning I do some stretches. And then just the activity to me, of, and it's why I like to paddle. And I'm not saying don't pedal. I'm not saying don't get a trolling motor. Again, it's whatever you like to do. But I enjoy the paddle, you know. And, yeah, yeah. when I come back, I'm a little sore. And it's a good sore. And, you know, I'm pitching and flipping. I, and a normal trip for me is probably about seven hours. And I'm usually covering somewhere in four or five miles of water to do that. Cause I believe, first of all, you got to cover a lot of water to catch big fish. And I see places and let's say that's a one fish spot. Yep. So, you know, I'll hit places like that and try to develop a pattern. And then if I catch a bunch of fish on one bait, I switch and somebody said, why'd you do that? I said, it's kind of a game. I want to see how many fish I can catch on different baits. So, yeah. and going year round, People probably dismiss wintertime fishing, and I don't. I God's. I think ice is God's way of saying it's time to quit fishing. I don't ice fish, but when, <laughs> I don't either. When, when it's cold, I, I will go. And if you throw a jerk bait or the jig that Hank's talking about, jerk bait, jig, spinner bait, I go with a single willow leaf with a with a uh, a glimmer skirt on it that looks like a shad. When you stop reeling that, it starts the helicopter down. It looks like a dying yep. shad. You know, mm -hmm. uh, you're not going to catch forty fish here in january or i'm not you know but you might catch five or six and one of them might be a wall hanger so that's kind of the challenge yep. and i've always liked being able to go out every month and catch fish and to your point chad if you're in a place i'm not gene wilson i can't go like every day but right. uh, i could go every day but the weather doesn't permit and uh, one thing that i've realized is there's really no bad weather they're just people that are unprepared for it <laughs> right yeah that's that is very true yeah uh, I, I totally agree with what Joey said. I've learned also to be more selective in the wintertime. I've mm -hmm. discovered, for example, um, you know, with lake fishing, still water, um, it presents different challenges. Because fish tend to congregate a little more, they bunch up. Sometimes they might be a little harder to find in colder water. But I've, um, I've learned that river fish never entirely go dormant. So I've actually become more of a river fisherman in the winter. Mm -hmm. Um, I've got a couple of really good rivers in my area. 
uh, some smaller rivers, but also a couple large, medium to large sized ones. And I've fished more, but then there are different safety precautions there. You have to be very careful in moving water because you're bundled up for the cold air. Right. But if you mm -hmm. spill with all that extra stuff on, you better really know what to do and quickly because you're in trouble. Um, Absolutely. Um, so there are different safety considerations, I think, for colder water. Our Jackson teammate, Ken Wood, he had a really scary experience years ago spilling on a big lake. And he's um, talked about that often as a criterion for taking different types of approaches to safety in colder water. And that's really important, too. But I love winter fishing. I'm with Joey. I just don't do it quite as much as I'd like to. Yeah, and you're onto something there. One of the one of the factors that's it makes sense when you hear it, but a lot of people don't think about it is moving water stays warmer in the winter and cooler in the summer just by the yeah. fact that it's moving. Yep. And the other thing that I believe in, and somebody may not, but this is kind of the chance point, is when we're on a full moon, and I don't care what month it is, full or a new moon, if the if the if we have a two-day warming pattern, I'm going. You know, yeah. and I I, I very rarely get zeroed. I'm not saying I don't get skunked, but it's, it doesn't happen often. But you can't wait until it's May 27th and it's 75 degrees and there's a three mile an hour wind. If you're going to do that, you're going to fish two or three days a year. You know, the yeah. way to challenge yourself. And I, I'm notorious for telling people as a kayak fisherman, I hate the wind. It's my least. I'll fish dirty, cold water anytime, but I hate mm. the wind. And not because it's not safe, even though it's not. You know, when you get a wind advisory, stay off the water. But it kind of takes away the things that I like to do. But you don't know unless you go. And you can't wait mm -hmm. for perfect weather to go. Yeah, it's like guys... it's like the old man in uh, the old man in the sea says, anyone can be a fisherman in May. There you go. And, and Hemingway you nailed it with that one. Do you guys feel like winter fishing, you know, helps the patients? I think it does. And it does something else. And I think everybody, I, I, I have two concepts that I believe everybody belongs to. Everybody should have a place to live and everybody should, has a right to be on the water. I'm not a big jet ski fan. Never been on one. Don't want to. But you know what you don't see in the wintertime? Jet skis. Jet skis. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of people, the big boats go up September 1st here is kind of like the marking or, you know, uh, Labor Day is when people say, OK, the fishing is over. The you water know, freezes after Labor Day. Yeah, well, or, or <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It freezes. Everybody that has it, the water freezes after Labor Day. Yeah, and 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 some people just stop fishing no matter what. They just say, "Well, I don't go back out." And if, well, if, if, as long as you're comfortable and you're taking the safety precautions, the I'm telling you, for me, if I had to pick a time to fish, the best time to fish it would be every every day in October in the first two weeks in November. If you're looking for a trophy, that's the time to go. Yep. Yeah, that's fair. Very fair. Now, jumping back into the talking about the writing and the, and the different things like that, Joey, you've written a few books. Um, what's next for you as far as writing? Well, I wrote a novel. I stepped outside, you know, and it's kind of fun because yep. just like kayaking, you know, somebody said, well, you know, you've got like, I, and I really believe everybody's got a story. And I wrote a book last year called uh, uh, Secret of the Storms. And mm -hmm. it's Ani, a hundred years that my family have been in this country a hundred years. So it's kind of historically based and uh, it's a little rough at times, but so was my family. So, you know, but the, uh, but I wrote a novel, but I, you know, to me, it's, if you have that heart of a teacher, I've already got two blog posts ready to, to submit, but you know, you want to keep communicating that. 
And I wouldn't say that another book isn't probably in my future. It might well be. And I donate most of the proceeds of my books to St. Jude's Children's Hospital. Mm -hmm. My money's all made. I'm not worried about making money. I'm worried about spreading the word and getting people started outdoors, in a kayak, on a bank, with a cane pole. I don't care how they get outside and what they do. Get outside and enjoy, for lack of a better description, God's creation, that there's so much to see and do. And if you've never, you know, whatever it is, there's always something you can learn when you go in the outdoors. And it either reinforces something you already knew or you learn a new lesson whether you're hunting, fishing, or just paddling, you know, sometimes we just go paddle. I mean, I'm not yeah. saying I don't have a rod in there, but sometimes I just want to go paddle for a while. Yeah. Well, I, I can attest to that. I can attest to that. That's, that's solid, man. Yeah. And it's fun that's because solid. when you have a, you know, and I've been, ble- you know, people say they're blessed and said, let me tell you my story. Getting to do radio every morning keeps you relevant. Getting to write keeps you relevant. Doing boat shows keeps you relevant. Mm-hmm. Doing TV keeps you, in a, in a, it keeps you sharp and it gives you a chance again to communicate that message of the environment. You know, I was a big catch and a release person. And then I finally realized, you know, I don't want to shame somebody into taking some, you know, for taking some fish. And, you know, so now I tell people the story that if you, you never seen a farmer walk out to a big farm field. Hey, Tony Evans, I you never see somebody farmer walk out there and say, Boy, look at that beautiful field of corn. I don't think I'm going to harvest that. I'm just going to leave that up. You know, so that is, that's very fair. You know, so you know, catching a few crappie, a few bluegill, and I take I take the smallest legal fish, and I'll clean enough for a meal with maybe a little. I don't know if there's ever any leftover crappie, but you know, if there's a, <laughs> if there's a few leftover fish, and that's okay, and that's part of the experience teaching people how to catch, and the value of release, but also. That again, that's that you know, that's kind of God's grocery store that we can go out there and we can eat some. If you've never had a fish fry from the same day that you fished, you're really missing one of the life's treats. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's well said, Joey. Um, there is a time and place for that, and there's an emerging scientific consensus. I talked to wildlife biologists, I was part of a working group here in North Carolina a few years ago as a representative of the kayak community or the kayak fishing community. Me and one of the other guys, we were we sat in as part of this working group. You had hydrologists and plant biologists, aquatic plant experts and fisheries biologists and all these different engineers and, and scientists and, and guides and representatives from BASS and so forth. And it was a fascinating experience. And one of the things that came up was that actually catch and release has been too successful in some places. Right. Yes. Because what yeah. happens is that when you when you keep putting those little those smaller fish back into the lake, they create mm-hmm. competition and statistically they drive the average size down. Yeah. And you see that with a lot of old lakes. Yes. Yep. There's a finite food so you know, food available, and, mm-hmm. and, and you can't have you know, you can you, even if you fish a farm pond, you have to understand balancing that out is really an important thing. There's something called a mm-hmm. 10 to 1 rule. It's what I call it. For every bass you take, you take out 10 bluegill. And when you do yeah. that, you keep a little small body of water healthy. And before mm-hmm. we go too much further, I do want to say, in, in, in all sincerity, my sincere thanks to Jackson Kayak for making this possible for me to, I could have done it otherwise, but they facilitated this and they've given me a platform to work off of. And I'm lucky to have a lot of really good sponsors and people that have become friends over the years, not just business, but, but friends. And, and 
for me, again, you know, I don't just wear the Jackson logo. I live the logo. I want to, mm -hmm. you know, I want to people, I want to be proud of what I'm paddling and spread that word and have everybody be as successful as they can be. And I do have to say that for people who golf, and I don't know who does, but I always have to throw this in there. Yeah, golf is for people who don't lie well enough to fish. <laughs> I, I can't say that I'm a golfer, so you're safe here. <laughs> um. Well said, Joey. I'm grateful as well. It's a powerful thing that we have here, as I noticed earlier. My problem, we were talking about patience earlier, is mm -hmm. that also as a as an Italian-American, I'm stubborn, right? So no. when I get impatient and I think, oh, I'm going to tie on a jerkbait, I'm going to tie on a crankbait and start, you know, moving a little more, um, another part of me says – Put the jig back in your hand and fish with that. So there's this constant conflict that sometimes it produces great results. And the fact that I get to sit out in a, in a good kayak and, and do that kind of work and talk about it and write about it and encourage uh, growth in the sport in those ways is a pretty amazing thing. Or else, because, you know, in another way, if I didn't have that outlet to communicate all of that, I'd be driving myself crazy uh, arguing over a jig or a crankbait, popper mm -hmm. or a or a, or, a, or a worm or a T-rig. So it's a really amazing thing. A lot of it just works together in funny ways. And I'm constantly surprised by some of the things that come up as a tournament director, as a tournament angler, as just a casual fisherman, someone who enjoys paddling on the lake with the kids. Um, I'm open to all the surprises. It's, it's, it's amazing. We were talking about wildlife before. One day I was just paddling down the river and I heard something barking over here mm -hmm. and I looked and it was a little otter pup and its head was just like this big. It was sticking out of the water and it was barking. I thought, Hey, we're <laughs> friends. We're talking. It's talking to me. And then all of a sudden I heard another sound and I looked next to me and mama wasn't too happy about the fact oh, that man. my Jackson kayak was between <laughs> her and her pup. And the pup was like, mama, come get me. And the mama was like, I'm about to eat this guy right a hole right through his kayak. So those little moments of, of surprise and wonder, man, mm -hmm. I'm open to all of that. And, you know, anyone who, who's listening or has friends or family who's thinking about getting in a kayak, just do it. It's the best thing in the world. Yeah. We lost Joey's voice again. Joey. I, yeah, I, I don't know what it uh, is. Am I back? <laughs> yep, you're back. You, okay. Yeah, we got you. I was asking Chad if he's a lifelong fisherman because I started late. But did you start as a little a little guy? So on my wall hanging um, that you can't see over here on this side is a Snoopy fishing pole. Uh, it is a replica of my first fishing pole that my mom actually went out and found at a flea market. And wow. I can vividly remember as a young kid, uh, probably three years old, sitting in the driveway, casting that thing into a mud puddle um did fishing fishing didn't i mean i always fished you know panfish my grandpa uh was a farmer so we always had a pond full of bluegill so we would go out there and catch bluegill and throw them back and have a good time doing that but as far as bass fishing goes it didn't find me till later in life i was too busy you know running around chasing girls and riding motorcycles and trying to land on my head as a young teenager and you know as i i got older i wrecked my uh, ATV and scared the crap out of myself, to be totally honest with you, Joey, um, to the point where I never got back on it. Um, 
and to find and fix that competitive edge, it was fishing. Um, and it also brought a lot of peace. Yeah. So that's kind of where, that's kind of where bass fishing took its hold and the competitive side of it. And, you know, the constant movement of bass fishing is what I needed as a person. Um, I couldn't, I just had a really hard time sitting still and bobber fishing or cat fishing or something like that. So yeah. bass fishing is kind of why hmm. it helps my ADHD. <laughs> well you know and and i i got started late and didn't really have many places to fish and i fished for the first year and never caught a fish now i didn't say i didn't go a bunch but i remember the first bass that i caught i pitched in a a, a live night crawler on a float right in front of a willow tree over a mm -hmm. farm pond and that float went straight down and i jerked that fish up it landed on my feet and it changed my whole life i realized yep. then that was something i always wanted to do i never thought i'd be any good at it but i knew i would enjoy it and so I'm sure Hank has got a similar experience in terms of, you remember your first fish or how you started? Oh yeah, I do. Um, my family, um, so I'm, my, my parents were right off the proverbial boat. By then it was an airplane, but um, both Italian immigrants. And if you know about the history of upstate New York, um, you know, and in the history of our country, all these waves of immigrants, Irish, Greek, Italian, mm -hmm. Polish, etc., who came in through Ellis Island in New York Harbor, um, you know, they didn't go too far. You know, the Germans went over to eastern Pennsylvania and the, the Dutch were here and the Swedes were here and all that. But everybody takes vacations. So upstate yeah. New York was filled with all of these amazing, like, mm -hmm. ethnic resorts. Mm hmm. And, you know, like a lot of the great comedians learn their craft up there performing like Henny Youngman and Rodney Dangerfield. They used to perform at like the Jewish resorts and things like that. And um, and there were these old Italian resorts where my parents would take me. And the one well, this one in particular was amazing. And there was a big old pond in a park across the street there. And when I was a kid, I had a thing for you could walk through that park. There were still it was a new park and there were mounds of dirt and you could kick over the rocks and find these big fossils of fish mm -hmm. and snails and all kinds of weird stuff that had just been turned up by the bulldozers when they built the park. And I was like, oh, wow, look at these great fossil fish here. And then I was like, wait a second. There's live ones in the lake. <laughs> I was like light bulb yeah there you uh, go i i talked my parents into buying me whatever the equivalent of a snoopy fishing pole was back then i remembered it was a zebco bait caster mm -hmm. um and we got it at the kmart down in town and i went out there and i started catching bluegill and and bass and that was the i was seven maybe eight years old and whew, party's over not. yeah yeah that was yeah. it yeah um and and when I that moved was to, it. when I moved to Tennessee, you know, Missouri is not a bad place to be, but I love moving to Tennessee. And when I came down here, I came down here for business reasons. And mm -hmm. it was always fun for me that when you migrate, you know, I always want to know how like Chad ended up where he was or or Hank did. And when I would come in here and people said, uh, do you live here? I said, yeah, I do now. And they said, where do you work? I said, I don't. And they said, well, how are you surviving? I said, I'm in the witness protection program. All the questions dried up. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's actually a good way not to get questions about your spots. You get the whole that's right. <laughs> hey, look, I'm Italian, you know, so well, too much. you know, hanging hanging around in, at Del Hollow for a couple summers, 
I couldn't believe how many Indiana people were there. It blew yeah. my mind. Yeah. Um, just meeting people. I mean, it was just, it was crazy. Every time it seemed like me and my wife went somewhere, it was like, oh yeah, we're from Indiana too. They'd see, you know, the license plate on the truck or whatever. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Real Foot Lake in the Northwest part of the state has mm -hmm. got, you want to see license plates and they've got fabulous fishing. It's the only natural lake in the state. And it was formed in 1811 when, uh, uh, the Mississippi River flowed backwards from an earthquake, and mm, it's got right. it's got a it's got a population of crappie and bass that you just would not believe. And we see a lot of Indiana, uh, see a lot of Michigan, mm -hmm. a lot of Illinois, and you know locally. I mean, we've done a bunch of TV shows up there, but you know it's a great natural lake. It's a lot of fun, and we are blessed to be in a place that's got a lot of water. And it's it's exactly yes, why I just does, built yeah. this house. Been here three weeks. My backyard is Woods Reservoir. Can't wait to hit it. Yeah, and Real Foot Lake has always been kind of a bucket list place for me. I, I've yeah. never been there. It's probably like one of the one places in Tennessee that I've actually never been. Um, the reason I actually want to go there, though, is ducks. I kind of want to go on a duck hunt on Real Foot. You could come right here and duck hunt, right in the backyard. But if you go to Real Foot, go to go during bluegill season in the future. And if you got kids. That's what I've heard, yeah. Well, if you got kids and you want to catch a cooler full of bluegill, and, you know, I don't keep a cooler full of nothing because I don't want to clean more than 10 of anything. But, <laughs> but I'm telling you, the bluegill, when the bluegill are spawning down there, it is absolutely incredible. And get a guide for at least the first day. You know, that's one of those little tricks. And we've taken the kayaks up there. It's great mm -hmm. kayak water because it's got a lot of shallow water and stumps. So it, it kind of keeps our, our our glitter boat brethren off the water a little bit because they don't want to <laughs> they don't they don't have stump jumpers. They want to they want to you know, the kayak is is ideal for out there. Mm. Very nice. I know some of the crappie that I've seen. Um, one of my buddies that used to own crappiecrazy.com, he he went out there and man, just some of the crappie that they had caught were just magnums. I mean, they were huge. They are. Mm. I, I've got pictures. <laughs> <laughs> they are. They are some big crappie. Um, so we have made it to the hour mark. I feel like we guys, I feel like we could go on all night with this thing, but unfortunately people kind of burn out on us after about an hour. Um, and you guys know how that goes. So with that being said, I want you guys to, we'll start with Hank. I want you to tell people where to find you on social media, how to learn more about you and where they can interact with you. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I live two different lives on social media. There's professor Henry. Um, and then there's Fishing Henry. So um, I've got a Twitter, uh, Fishing Twitter. It's uh, uh, at M-I-A-C-A-L-V-A. That's my Bofin Country account. Um, mm -hmm. My website is also Bofin Country. Um, I, I do a lot of fishing for that species. And I write about them. And I'm, I got my book sitting here waiting for me to pay attention to it this summer. Um, so... Um, and then I've got Hank the John fishing on Facebook and then like the, the academic stuff, the fishing, uh, the, uh, non-fishing content is over on, uh, different, uh, platforms. I separate it. Some people follow both. Some people dip in, follow one or the other. And then of course, if you search my name on the Jackson website, uh, you'll find me on the fishing team and a list of a lot of my blog posts are there. I think most of them yes. are on there, not all of them at this point. So, um, I, try to go in there and look at the comments in there, but most of those come in through social media anyway. So that's the best way to get a hold of me. And then I'm, of course I'm always, I'm busy with KBF. I help do some of their long form content 
and you can all uh, follow that stuff on the KBF website and contact me through there as well because um, I help them out um, with their tournament recaps and some of their uh, press releases and all that kind of stuff. So I get around and you can find me in a lot of different ways. I'm on Instagram at Fish and Joey on Instagram. I'm on Facebook and uh, on radio on AM 650 WSM, little old radio station, Grand Ole Opry Station. It's 38 states with 50,000 watts. And we're not telling you what happened last week. We're telling you what to do this week and next week. And on Thursdays, we have campfire stories because I find it amusing to be able to tell my stories. Uh, and then, again, uh, fishjoey10 at gmail.com. If you got a question, you want an autographed book or any of those kind of things, or if you just want to chat, you know, again, on Messenger, on Facebook, uh, you know, I, I I encourage people, if you got a question, I'll answer it. If I don't know the answer, I'll lie. Hey, and the books Joey. are all on Amazon, correct, Joey? Yes, sir. Yeah, good. Thank you. Yep. Amazon.com for Joey's books. Um, yeah, with that being said, uh, we invite you guys to check us out, jacksonkayak.com. Shop around, find that Jackson Kayak you've been looking for. Find a Jackson Kayak dealer right there on the website. And if you're looking for one of these cool Orion coolers, you can purchase those online at jacksonkayak.com. We appreciate you guys watching. We will see you on the next one. Thanks for being here, guys. Thank you. Thank you.